When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Alrighty, hello and welcome to this week's edition of the We Are Podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. We have got a bunch of great stuff for you today, especially if you are a Penn State wrestling fan. In fact, I've got some great news for you if you're a wrestling fan here for the next couple of weeks. Coming up here in the second segment in just a few minutes, we've got a terrific interview I did during the week with Nate Cobbler from the Center Daily Times. He's a Penn State wrestling beat writer. We talked about just how good this Penn State wrestling team is as it's undefeated, ranked number one, and getting set for the Big Ten Championships here in a week, and then the NCAA Championships and a chance for a 10th national title. So that's coming up in the second segment. So if you're a wrestling fan, you're definitely going to want to hear that. We had a lot of great, great conversation about how good this year's wrestling team is. And then, next week's Memory Lane podcast is sensational. I've already recorded it. Uh, We take a look back at how Penn State became a national power, and we focused it on the hiring of Cale Sanderson, what went into that process back in April of 2009. Um, My guest, again, I'll, I'll preview it for next week. It's Andy Elder, longtime Penn State wrestling beat writer. Uh, we we spent a, a half an hour on Cale Sanderson, uh, how he came to Penn State, um, what he did to turn Penn State into a national power, and how they've been able to sustain that. So if you're a Penn State wrestling fan, man, oh man, we, we've got just fantastic stuff for you here over the next uh, couple of weeks on the podcasting network. So, all right, I want to spend a few minutes here in the first segment. Trying to kind of get to the bottom of what my goal is in what I do in my job. And the reason for talking about this is I posted a story at DK Pittsburgh Sports on Friday morning in my Friday Top 5. And I thought, you know what? This story might kind of suck for people. People might not enjoy this at all. Uh, The story is uh, this Penn State program loses millions yet is sadly irrelevant in its sport. And I'm talking about women's college basketball at Penn State. I realize that virtually none of you care about women's college basketball at Penn State. So why did I write a story about it? Well, I wrote what I thought was a pretty interesting story about the struggling finances in women's college basketball. 
that was part one of the Friday top five. Then part two was the fact that the Penn State women's basketball team is really bad. The, the program is in really bad shape. They lost Saturday night in their Big Ten finale uh, to finish four and 14 in the Big Ten. What I try to do as a sports writer, podcaster, radio host, my number one goal is to give you something interesting to read or think about. Whether you even know that you care about it or not, whether you even think that you'll like it or not, I, I took a little bit of a gamble writing a women's college basketball story. I've been here almost two years, I guess a year and a half at, at DK Pittsburgh Sports. It's really the first women's college basketball story I've written out of, I don't know, five, six, seven hundred stories. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, is anybody going to care about this? Because quite frankly, while women's college basketball is pretty popular around the country, if you, especially if you're in a, uh, an area where the program is really good, the Penn State women's program has been bad for a number of years after being really good for historically. So like I said, I took a, a little bit of a gamble that people would say, I'm not reading this. I don't care about women's basketball. Why would I even want to read this, Geiger? Well, because it is interesting. And if you go back and read the story, again, the first part is about finances. The Penn State women's basketball program loses between three to five million dollars every year. It is far and away the most expensive and costly in terms of a loss program that Penn State has out of its 31 sports. It loses more money than any other program on campus. And yet, you know, for decades, while the women's program was good and was winning and went to NCAA tournaments and went to a Final Four, went to an Elite Eight, hey, if you're if you're winning, you can justify spending money. If you're really bad, my my point with the story, with the couple of components, if you're really bad, how do you justify really spending anything above what you absolutely kind of the minimum basis of what you've got to spend to help a program? Try to get better. If you're going to lose three, four, five million dollars every year, no matter what, should you even spend any more money at all on that program to try to help it get better? So now I'll let you go in and, and read as I'm, as I'm recording this. We have 82 comments on the story, uh, and it's got 2,500 page views, which is a, a really good number for a Penn State story. Um, the vast majority of football stories that I wrote during football season did not get 2,500 page views. And so I just want to thank the readers for reading it, taking part in it, taking part in the discussion, understand what it is I'm trying to do with that. Because again, my number one goal in this is to give you something interesting to read. Maybe it's something you truly care about, like Penn State football or wrestling or what have you. Maybe it's something you don't care about at all, like Penn State women's basketball, which most people probably don't care about. And you don't really have any reason to care about it. When they struggle. But what I want to do is try to make you think one way or another and at least broach subjects that I think have potential to be interesting and that we can kind of get to the bottom or at least uh, dive into and talk about things that maybe people were not aware of. My guess is most people, before they read that story, really had no idea 
that the women's basketball program lost more than three million, usually loses more than three million dollars a year. So a lot of the discussion became about, hey, well, it doesn't matter if they lose money. College sports are about spending money and it's about opportunities and Title IX, a lot of Title IX discussions. And I kept kind of bringing it, continuing to bring it back to, okay, fine, I understand they, they're, they're going to lose money, but if they're struggling too, then you have no justification whatsoever to spend any level amount of more money on the program than the base minimum possible. And I brought up a point of, let's say you've got $100,000 and the women's basketball program could really use $100,000 for whatever it needs. But if you spend $100,000, then you can go pay for two more analysts for the football program. What's the better way to spend that money? Because you can spend $100,000 on the women's basketball program and they might not improve at all. They're 4-14 and 14 in the Big Ten this year. You spend $100,000 on, on a couple more analysts for the Penn State football program. And one example I pointed out was Ken Wisenhunt, who's leaving Penn State. He was an offensive analyst. He's going to Alabama, the former NFL coach. I'm just hype hypothesizing here. I don't know that Ken Wisenhunt left for more money, but I'm just saying, what if Penn State could have offered him another $100,000? Might he have stayed? And might somebody on Ken Wisenhunt with his, you know, with his knowledge of the game, former NFL head coach, could he be the difference in maybe one game, one game throughout the course of a season that he helps you win because he figures out some things and helps come up with a game plan on offense or what have you. And then that one game leads you to the playoffs. It's not a, it's not far fetched to think that one person within a Penn State football program, depending on if it's the right person, could end up having that level of influence. So the question I raised in the comments was, say you've got a hundred thousand dollars. Is there ever any justification to not spend that hundred thousand dollars on football? Because football brings in tens of millions of dollars. Could there possibly ever be any indication to spend a dollar more? Then you at the bare minimum of what you would have to spend for Penn State women's basketball if they're not going to be a productive program at all. Well, Title IX, equal opportunities, all these. Okay, I get all that, folks, but we're in a modern era of economics and finances in college sports to where football, especially with the Big Ten getting a billion dollar TV contract, we're in a completely different era now. Then when Title IX first came about in, what, 1972, the money is so off kilter. Does football just have to continue to pay for anything and everything, even if, one, the program that it's paying for loses millions of dollars, and two, that program is awful? So, again, kind of wrap this up here for this segment. The purpose was not necessarily to just write about women's college basketball. The purpose of the story was really to put a magnifying glass into how a college spends its money and what the expected investment or return on investment should be. Should colleges spend money on women's basketball? Absolutely. Do places like UConn lose millions of dollars with women's college basketball? Absolutely. But at UConn, they win. At Penn State, they used to win. And so I'll I'll just leave it with this. If you've got $100,000 to spend, Is there any way anybody could justify spending any of that extra for women's basketball as opposed to football or swimming and diving, tennis, fencing, golf, what have you? You can justify it for wrestling. You can justify it maybe for men's basketball. 
But can you justify it for programs that already lose millions of dollars and do not have any level of results in return? And that's the fascinating element of college athletics now, because we are we are in this era and we are going to continue to drive 150 miles an hour into a, a more of an era where college football is paying for everything. And when that's the case, how do you justify not spending basically every dollar that you possibly can on college football? So appreciate everybody for reading that story. If you haven't read it, go read it, but then also take some time to read the comments. We've got a lot of great uh, discussion points and topics in there from a lot of different readers. And, and I just appreciate everybody for weighing in because it is to me a very, very interesting topic. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, welcome back. The Penn State wrestling team is sensational, uh, really to the surprise of no one. The program's been sensational for a long, long time. Joined by, by, now by Nate Cobbler of Center Daily Times. I want to kind of get into just how good this this team is compared to maybe some of the uh, previous national championship teams we've seen from Penn State. What's up today, buddy? How you doing, man? I'm, I'm good, man. How you been? All right, when, you, when we went into this season... It was everybody thinking they're going to win another national title, Nate. Was that really the expectation? Uh, yeah, pretty much. It's just because of the uh, all their you know, national champions were returning and um, that were there last year. And then we got a crop of young guys coming in that were, um, you know, kind of like on the up and up. Their, their names were known. Um, it was just a matter of how are they going to adjust to the collegiate level. And sure enough, uh, they would just adjusted to the collegiate level. Uh, and pretty fair, fair standing. So, I just want to kind of take a second before we really dive into this team and just think of how incredible it is that I just asked you was the full expectation to win a national championship, and you're like, oh yeah, well, of course, of course it is. And and how when you've done it nine times, and look, it's just easy to take this stuff for granted when you're just unbelievable. It's like UConn women during their heyday. It's like, hey, mm-hmm. did UConn win by 40? Yeah, of course they did. <laughs> Has UConn won 87 games in her? Yeah, of course yeah. It's like, it's like, how do you wrap your mind around this? This just ain't the reality for 99.9999% of other sports teams. No, yeah, it's, it's just one of those things where, um, you know, when you look at it, Penn State wrestling fans are kind of spoiled. Um, and the fact of every year, you know, they're, they're winning national championships, but yet they're still complaining about, uh, the 125 pound weight class because it seems like Penn State can't figure out, um, how to get that hole in their lineup figured out and fixed. So, uh, that's just been a consistent struggle for them for, you know, going on seven years now. So, um, you know, it's just one of those things where, um, yeah, it's just, it's become an expectation just because of, um, you know, the other teams, they have a rebuild 
where with Penn State wrestling, it's not it's not a rebuild. It is a reload year after year after year. Well, since you mentioned it, I will go ahead and we'll start with the 125 weight class, and then we'll get to all the awesome stuff after that. But, okay, so from your experience following not just Penn State, but college wrestling in general. Okay, so I want you to kind of theorize here a little bit. We don't even have to go through individual names or anything like that. I, I just want you to think about when when you've won nine national championships and you've just been awesome basically year in and year out, it is peculiar that it comes down to one weight class out of ten. How do you how do you wrap your mind around that element that for whatever reason, whether it's Penn State or bad luck or bad timing or injuries or a transfer or what have you, it is remarkable that that is a story every year. Yeah, yeah, I mean it is because you know they they keep. They had guys in that they expected to kind of fill the void to reload per se. Um, after Mika Megalitis, um, went out as a champion, national champion back in, uh, 2016. And, uh, it's either been like you just mentioned, either injuries that have caused these guys to not be able to, uh, fill the void or a guy that got injured and he transferred out because supposedly, you know, his family didn't like how Kale and his staff was handling the injury situation. Um, and you know, it's like, then they bring the next guy that's supposed to fill the void and that guy gets hurt. And so he hasn't been able to be on the mat for an entire year yet healthy in his collegiate career. So it's, it's a lot of combinations of a bunch of different things, but I constantly just have been talking to other people on the beat. It's like, if you're a 125 pound wrestler somewhere in the country, doesn't matter where you're at and you know, you're maybe wrestling and you feel like you contribute to Penn State's lineup. Why aren't you busting down the door yeah. <laughs> trying to do with the whole transfer portal stuff? Like, yeah. why aren't you busting down the door trying to get there to, you know, to, to be that savior of the weight class? Uh, okay. Now, here's a question for you. Nate's covered wrestling for a long time. Okay. So if this is a ridiculous question, please tell me that it's a ridiculous question. I knew not a single guy that weighed 125 pounds in college. Not one. I didn't know a single dude. Not, not a guy. Uh, in college, if you weigh 125 pounds, I said on the air the other day, we're a fat country. I mean, pe- people are just fat in this country nowadays. I'm fat. I, 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 most a significant percentage of people in this country are over these weight limits that, that the USDA mentions and all this stuff. My theory, Nate, is this. How many friggin' 125-pound wrestlers are there in this entire country? Period. So, I mean, you, you, you got a bunch of dudes that weigh 150, 170, 180, 190. So maybe you have this mountain of pyramid to choose from and to get the very best of the best of the best of the best of the best and train them is one thing. But I mean, are there, how, how many kids going into college are committed enough and to stay at 125 at that weight? Cause 125 pounds for a man, a man, an 18 year old man in college is tiny. Are we just talking yeah. about a numbers thing here? No, I mean, maybe, maybe sort of, but you, you hit the key word there, which is commitment. Um, you know, there's not, there's not a number of guys that are out there that are as committed to try to keep the weight down. Right. If you're 125 pounds, you want, you want to get bigger, kind of. You, you don't want to be a, a tiny shrimp your whole life, right? <laughs> right, right. And so, you know, that, that's the, that's the key aspect is that commitment and desire to stay at that weight class and to be able to keep that weight down. Because, you know, if, if you're able to, then what are you giving up, right? You're giving up maybe energy. Maybe you're giving up 
some muscle. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things where there's, you know, I don't know what the number of Division One college wrestling teams there are, but, you know, it's one of those things where there, if you still have the opportunity, even if you're a Division Two, right, we'll talk about Pitt Johnstown. Pitt Johnstown has a phenomenal Division Two wrestling program um, that, hey, what if maybe what if you're a guy that's a Pitt Johnstown and you're tired of beating up on Division Two guys and maybe you think you could go to the Division One level? Mm-hmm. Why aren't you trying to knock down the door at Penn State to try to fill that void and again become the savior of the weight class? <laughs> so you know, it just seems like, like you said, it probably is a numbers thing in the fact of you know, there's a lot of great wrestlers that are uh, a lot heavier weights, and then it's like one of those um, one in a generational type talents, like a Spencer Lee at Iowa who has been able to consistently stay his, keep his weight down to 125. And he's been phenomenal doing it. And he's going to be, you know, if he finishes off his career with his fourth national title this year, he's going to go down as probably one of the greatest ones in, in collegiate wrestling history. All right. So is there any, somebody mentioned this a, a few weeks ago, is there any push at all to raise the lowest weight class in college wrestling and, and, and started at 133? No, not that I'm aware of. Um, there hasn't been, it's, it's been, it's one of those things where it's been consistent. And so why do you, why do you break something that's been consistent? Why do you change something that's worked? Um, you know, you see it all the time in high school, you know, they, the, the weights change this year for high school wrestling, um, you know, in Pennsylvania here where they changed to, um, they made the weight a little bit one pound heavier for a lot of the lighter weights. Um, so I don't foresee anything like that going to happen uh, just because, again, you don't know, why mess up with something that's working and that's working really well. So, um, you know, I, don't, I just don't see that that's ever going to happen. All right. So the rest of this lineup is, is pretty much uh, incredible, including uh, the, the, the national champions, Roman Bravo, Young and uh, Brooks to I mean, they, they've got so much. Ta- so when, when you think, think about just the way this season has played out from a dual meet standpoint, and I know the Iowa dual meet was uh, very entertaining at the Jordan Center. But when Penn State has so many awesome wrestlers that you know you can count on a bunch of points from, um, mm-hmm. how, how, how d- dangerous does that make them in a dual meet setting? Well, that's just it. I mean, it does, not even in a dual meet setting, but also in the tournament setting. Um, you know, obviously the sport is an individual sport, but there's still that team aspect to it. So, um, you know, we talk, you know, it's consistently talked about how. Penn State has this weakness at 125 pounds. Okay, yeah, but look at the rest of the lineup. You got national champion at 133. Then you got, uh, let's see, three national champions from 174 to 197 currently. So, but in years past, you had, okay, well, uh, we still had a weakness at 125, but let's just talk about the five national champions that we have in a row from 149 pounds the whole way up to 174 pounds. So it's just like the ability to have um, the, the guys, like you're mentioning, to score points to overcome that deficit. It's like, maybe Kale and them feel like, hey, I don't, we don't need to worry about this. We just keep producing national champions with all these other weights. What does it matter? We don't need to have a guy there. You know, they've won national championships with only, um, you know, eight guys making it to the national championships because they've been putting five guys in the finals and they're winning you know, four of the five, five of the five, three of the five. So it's just one of those things where they are just so consistent at the end of the year that they are wrestling their peak wrestling when it matters the most. All right, here's one for you. Who is the best wrestler 
on this Penn State team. And you can go pound for pound. You can go technique. You can go sheer dominance. Whatever criteria you want. Because to compare uh, RBY at 133 and Greg Kirk, Kirk at 285, I mean, they're completely different human beings. But yeah. just in terms of what you guys talk about who cover wrestling and, and the sheer dominance factor, who who is the very best wrestler on this team? Uh, it's, it's probably Carter Starocki with, with no question. Um, there really hasn't been a weakness to his, to his game at all this year. Um, you know, past two years, he's gone through, you know, a tough guy in, in Makai Lewis from Virginia Tech to win, um, you know, to win his national titles. And, um, there's just doesn't seem to like any stopping him. Um, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, he wrestled. Uh, Indiana's, uh, DJ Washington, who handled him his very first, um, collegiate loss, um, whenever he came out and, you know, wrestled against Indiana a couple of years ago. And he really put a thumping on him, um, compared to what it was, you know, a couple of years ago. So just to see how he has just evolved and gotten better over time, um, it, like I said, there just doesn't seem to be a weakness in his wrestling. You've seen the Matt Deans fall. You've seen, Greg Kirk lose. You've seen um, Aaron Brooks get caught here and there and lose. Raymond Bravo Young, he hasn't lost um, yet. I'm not saying he's going to either, but um, his his game just isn't as uh, thorough and as tight as Starocki's is. All right. I, I got a text from a wrestling fan who says, uh, what's the best adjective to describe the Penn State wrestling program because what they've accomplished because he even says dominance is it even accurate uh what what's the most superlative thing we can say um i mean you can go with dynastic i like that um, word dynasty yeah a dynasty um you know you look at it uh when you say you're going for the 10 of the last 12 national championships then um you know we could be sitting here saying that Maybe they're going for 12 of the last 12 if it wasn't for the pandemic that went down in 2020 that shut down the national championships. It's just crazy to think, you know, again, they don't rebuild, they reload. And, you know, just the other day, they just got a pair of recruits from um, twin, I don't know if they're twin brothers, but brothers from uh, uh, West Minnesota, Wisconsin, somewhere up in there. And they're two heavier weights, 70, I think 74 and, uh, 84, 84.97. They're right there in those upper weights, like you were mentioning um, earlier. But I, I mean, I'd have to say it's dynastic. Um, and it doesn't seem to be stopping anytime soon because they just continue to get the top guys in the country when they need them to. And Kale and his staff, they have a great way of planning for the future. And what I mean by that is they'll redshirt guys whenever. It might not be the right time to redshirt them because they start and then lead into the new cycle. So if you look over Penn State's history, you'll see there might be one year where, all right, hey, they might give up and quote unquote give up the national championship um, at the end of the year. And then, then they go on a run four straight in a row. It's happened twice now and because they've held, they've redshirted guys that have been kind of, put that crop and led that next crop of cycling of wrestlers to then continue that dominant run. So 
we may see something like that occur next year because there's a possibility where Aaron Brooks, who has a year of eligibility left because of the COVID-19 pandemic, that he might redshirt to focus on the Olympics to try to make the Olympic team. And then he still has that one year that he could maybe then start that crop of the Shane Van Nesses, the Alex Facundes, the Levi Haynes run of national championships. Is there any concern for the Big Ten championships? Because if I ask you, are they going to win the national championship? My guess is you'd say absolutely. Um, But they've won national championships before and not necessarily Mm -hmm. won the Big Ten championship. Is there any Mm -hmm. concern with just the breakdown uh, that maybe they don't win the Big Ten championship? Um, I mean, there's a possibility there. and A lot of that, it comes down to the seeding. Because their guys are so good, they end up getting buys. They sometimes get in the first or the second seed. And so they're getting buys into a round. So they lose a round of being able to score points for their team. You know, where other schools, they have that ability to get those, what they call pigtail matches, preliminary matches, to have the ability to maybe get a pin early. And that's bonus points for the team score. Well, you know, when you only have 14 schools, in the Big Ten, and you're one of those 14, well, now you're down to 13 opportunities to try to score any points against somebody else, where at the national stage, you've got, you know, 15 to 20 to 30 schools that are there where, yes, sometimes the number one seeds have a bye, but the, the lining up of the different matches are all there is a similar opportunity for all teams as opposed to the big tens, but they say they don't care about the big tens because you're not known for winning big 10 championships. You're known for winning national championships. So, I mean, they have to care because it's obviously their conference, but it, again, they don't care if they don't win it there because they're peaking at the next two weeks when it matters the most, which is the national championship. Hey, great catching up with you, man. Always enjoy our wrestling discussions, buddy. Nate Cobbler from the CDT. Thanks, pal. All right. Good to hear from you, pal. Thanks, buddy. All right, welcome back to the third and final segment of the We Are Podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed that outstanding wrestling discussion. Really appreciate Nate Cobbler from the Center Daily Times for joining me a little bit earlier in the week on my radio show. So that was great, great stuff. And again, if you love Penn State wrestling, be sure to check back next Saturday morning because I've got a half-hour podcast on just how the Kale Sanderson hire came about why Kale Sanderson came to Penn State, the money involved. Did he really get a million dollars? Like people, like the legend goes from, what, 14 years ago? Uh, and then how how did he turn Penn State into the uh, dynasty that it is? So all that's coming up in the Memory Lane podcast next Saturday. All right, uh, I wanted to switch gears here a little bit, talk some Penn State men's basketball. I'm recording this late Saturday night. So Sunday night, Penn State hosts Rutgers. Penn State's won three in a row. They're back to eight and nine in the Big Ten. In the uh, Big Ten, and as of Saturday night, they were the 69th team in uh, bracketology for Joe Lunardi, Lunardi from ESPN. The first team out, right there, back on the bubble. The first team out now at number 69, which is not a very nice position. 
But uh, we'll see. That's a big, big game coming up Sunday night at the Jordan Center, 630 on Big Ten Network against Rutgers. Jalen Pickett has put that team on his back and really just carried Penn State. He had the 71, 73 points over a two-game span and then scored the final 14 points to win the game at Ohio State uh, for the third consecutive win. So Penn State closes against Rutgers at home at Northwestern, and believe it or not, because Purdue lost Saturday night to Indiana uh, at home, by the way. Purdue is 13-5 and in the league. Northwestern is now 11-6. and It would be unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable, if Northwestern could somehow find a way to win or tie for first place in, in the Big Ten. That would just be really incredible. And to do that, Northwestern's got games at Maryland, home against Penn State, and then at Rutgers. So uh, Penn State's got this game against uh, against Rutgers. Even if they lose this game, they, they can afford to probably lose one of the next three games uh, and, and still be okay. But if they if they win at Northwestern, that would be a terrific win because Northwestern's metrics are really good. So if they if Penn State loses at home to Rutgers or Maryland, but yet goes out and beats Northwestern on the road and finishes ten and ten in the Big Ten. Hey, that could be enough. I still think they'd have to win two games in the Big Ten tournament because that first game would be a bad, it'd be a, it'd be a bad win. It'd be against a bad team with, with no resume and you would just be expected to win that because you really wouldn't really improve any by winning that. And then the second game would be a quality win and that would definitely, I think, get them into the NCAA tournament if they can go 10 and 10. So huge game coming up, huge three games, home against Rutgers at Northwestern and then home against Maryland. All right. I want to give you some kind of programming notes on what to expect here coming up from me shortly. I'm going to be taking some time off the first couple of weeks of March, so we will not have uh, a whole lot of Penn State coverage here on DK Pittsburgh Sports for the first couple of weeks of March. This is a good time. I'm taking some vacation. Um, We've got basketball going on. But not a whole lot of football stuff taking place. So this is a good time for me to take a little bit of a break. I, if, if there's any major news, uh, breaking, I will still have a story. I'm going on vacation. Uh, so I'm going to try to work as little as I can. But if there's any major news or developments, we certainly will have that for you. I'm, I'm probably not going to be writing uh, any feature stories. We may get away from the Friday top five weekend primer, that kind of thing. I'll try to keep tabs on the basketball team, too, uh, that Northwestern game March 1st, and then Maryland on uh, March 5th. But beyond that, I'm not going to write a whole lot. I will have the the Memory Lane podcast coming up. I'll continue to do my We Are podcast for Sunday mornings, uh, but I will not have many stories coming up uh, in in terms of writing things once we get to March 1st. And I take a, a little bit of a break, which I'm absolutely 100% looking forward to. And I do want to say as I close out the podcast today, I cannot thank all of the readers and listeners enough for all of the great feedback that we get. I say this all the time. Sometimes we don't get a ton of comments on the Penn State stories. We get a lot of comments on the Pitt stories. And I don't always quite understand maybe why we don't get as many comments on the Penn State stories. So if you're listening to this and you enjoy the Penn State content that we have here, uh, comment on the stories. I read them all. I try to interact. If you have a question for me, I will definitely interact with you. But uh, 
it will, will it'll be a little scarce here for the next couple of weeks outside of just kind of breaking news or hard news. And then I'll be back or in the second part of March as we start to uh, gear up for spring football. And then obviously the blue white game in April folks. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. Be sure to listen for the memory lane podcast next Saturday, as we trace the history of Kale Sanderson coming to Penn state. There's a lot of great stuff in there until then. Thanks for tuning in. Have a good week.